Hello and welcome to the Funds Fanatic Show. I'm Jeremy Gordon, editor of Funds Insider at CityWire, and I'm thrilled to be joined on the podcast today by a well-known face in the city, Jupiter's John Chatfield-Roberts. John is a fund manager, but rather than investing in stocks and shares directly, he heads up the 6.5 billion Jupiter Merlin range of multi-manager funds. That means he faces the same challenge on a somewhat larger scale as many other investors. How to pick the right funds to shape an effective portfolio. John, welcome. Um, I think you enjoyed your, your 20th anniversary at Jupiter early this year. And in fact, you've been running the Merlin range uh, lo even longer than that. Can you tell us a bit more about what you do? Well, uh, good afternoon, Jeremy. Good to be here. Um, thank you for the uh, the introduction. Yes, um, 20 years goes by in a flash. Um, I, I went to Jupiter with a team of three of us, mm -hmm. uh, Algie Smith-Maxwell and Pete Laurie, back in, I think it was March, March the 12th, to be precise, 2001. Mm. Um, but we'd all worked at uh, Lazard Asset Management before that. And so we were running the same funds, uh, which, in fact, we then bought about six, eight months later from Lazard. So, yeah, we've been managing those uh, Merlin funds since I think it was March 1997 we took them over. OK. And it, at, at your colleague, Algie, is still, still, you still work together, right? Absolutely. Algie is still very much part of the team. Um, mm. He's stepped back from day-to-day -day fund management, but he's now, uh, we call him our director of research, and so he comes to almost all our, our fund management meetings. Mm. He's integral in spotting um, new funds. He's, he's an interesting man to interview, Jeremy. So if he ever interviews you, he's looking inside your head. <laughs> Be warned. Interesting. Well, hopefully it would have been me interviewing him rather than the other way around. And so remind us, in terms of the uh, the range of funds, is it, it it's five or, or is it six funds you run with kind of different uh, risk risk bands, if, if that's the right way to put it? I guess that's 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 that would be a reasonable way of putting it. We started off with three and mm. over the years we've added a few more. But my view always was that you should limit the number of products that you run mm -hmm. and you're trying to not totally cover the waterfront but say offer um, investment solutions for the majority of the population yeah and so if you look at worldwide uh, on the one hand that's mm -hmm. a global growth fund and if you look at uh, Merlin Conservative mm. that's a fund with largely fixed interest holdings at, at the other end um, we've got something called Merlin Real Return which aims for a, a sort of steady positive return over time yeah but the majority of the money actually is on is mostly in equity funds um, with a little bit of fixed interest. OK. And um, well, yeah, you know, given, given that's what you do, John, during this conversation, we're absolutely hoping to uh, to get get an insight into how you how you pick funds. So when you're you know, when you're looking to invest in a fund, what's the first question you tend to ask yourself? The first question I ask myself mm. is um, when I meet the uh, the boy or girl who's running the money, mm. um, am I looking at the next James Findlay? And, mm. and if you um, uh, know your sort of fund history, you'll know that we've held something called Findlay Park. Uh, it's now called Findlay Park American. It used to be called Findlay Park US Smaller Companies. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a fund which was launched in 1998 by James Findlay and Charlie Park. James Findlay... Um, and Charlie were uh, great investors. James, uh, well, effectively, I, I always felt he was the head of that uh, team, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, and he was and is now outstanding investor, despite the fact that he actually is now merely a consultant to that fund. Um, he, he is somebody I judge uh, everything else by, really. OK. Um, um, what is it about him or his approach that you like so much? Well, he's just very good. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you've got, you've got to, as an investor, you've got to have insight. Yeah. Um, you've got to be 
competitive, mm. um, you've got to think laterally. And he's got all those th three things in spades. Mm. Um, and so we've asked, you know, what the qu first question you normally uh, ask yourself is. It now occurs to me, ask, is there a first question you normally ask a fund manager? No, not really. I mm. mean, I'm, af I'm afraid it, 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 you treat each meeting on its merits. So you've, mm. you've read the backup material um, and you're generally trying to get into why people behave the way they do. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get past the framing of the argument. So essentially it's a game of either poker or bridge or chess or something like that um, when you're when you're uh, sitting in front of a fund manager and you're try they're trying to frame an argument in the best way possible quite obviously as I am now <laughs> um, and uh, as the, uh, the, the the potential buyer you're trying to find out what the truth is mm. um, it's not that anybody's necessarily trying to hide the truth, but they're just trying to put the best gloss on it. What you're actually trying to work out is what they really actually do. Some people know what they do. Some people actually don't understand what they do. Right. Um, so, so there's no general question, but it's it's trying to un, you know peel back the layers layers of the onion to find the kernel. Yeah, and I won't ask you to name names, but I suppose when you say some people don't really know what they do, that might include some people you've met over the years who <laughs> actually run quite big funds. Um, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, th there's a great book uh, written in 1940 called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. And I think I would refer you to that, that, <laughs> that, that, that as, a, as a comment. <laughs> That's fair enough, John. Now, um, wh when I started as an uh, investment reporter, someone recommended uh, I read a book you wrote in 2006 or published in 2006 called Fundology, The Secrets of Successful Fund Investing. Now, it was at a bit of a, a different stage of the, the passive versus active debate at the time. But a, a key prong of your argument really was uh, a defense of active management or, or, or particularly the idea that, um, you know, we can pick the right managers for the right prevailing economic environment. I wonder, are you still as big a believer in active, uh, in active management today as you were then? The, the short answer is yes. Mm. Uh, the long answer is that I didn't quite comprehend how big the uh, passive industry was going to get mm. and therefore the effects it's had on how people invest generally and the effects on perhaps particular stocks and stock markets. So it, it's been a much bigger phenomenon than I anticipated. Mm. But I would still stick to the argument which, which I made, which is that not all fund managers are created equal. All we are trying to do is find that very small subset of people who can outperform and outperform on a regular basis. Um, and you're not really actually asking for, for very much in the sense of perhaps you're looking for a dozen or 20 people in a, in a universe, which is tens of thousands mm. um, and across the globe. So, you know, I'm not an expert on every fund manager that's ever lived because I don't need to be. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, it, it seems to me that the thought that there aren't people out there who have that ability, which is the nub of the passive argument, is just, it's just wrong. You mm. know? I mean, humans, human beings are pretty clever individuals um, collectively. And, and you can find some of those people out there who really uh, do make the grade. Yeah. But there just aren't many of them. <laughs> I think, you know, what one thing um, that uh, has undoubtedly changed about passive investing and where, you know, passive investing has had a big influence on active management as well is in, is in charges, fees. Um, 
you know, the charges on, on passive products have come down and down and down. And, you know, to invest in a FTSE 100 tracker, for example, it might be, you know, a few basis points or 0.1% a year charge. Um, and active funds have also come under big pressures to reduce their fees. Um, you know, how's that changed the picture? And how, how do you think about that change, I suppose? Well, I mean, it, it's something I think about all the time because, mm. I mean, it is capitalism, isn't it? Um, mm. So y you have a, an industry which is seriously profitable um, and then other people come in and, and, and those profits reduce. And, and, mm -hmm. and it's standard economic theory. So I think um, Amazon have a, a phrase along the lines of your margin is our opportunity, um, which is fascinating because right now there's a company called Cloudflare, I think it is in the States, which, okay. is, which is one of the darlings. If you go and look it up, it's, you know, it's, it's vertical. Uh -huh. but, but they are tr trying to s not steal, but take a, a lot of Amazon's um, cloud-based server mm. um, business because they've worked out that Amazon's um, server business is really quite high margin, whereas their, their retail offering isn't really high margin, huge, mm. huge volume and lots of, you know, lots of good things for lots of people, but where they are making a lot of money out of servers. So coming back to the fund management industry, which is actually what your question was about, mm -hmm. um, I just think of it in the same way uh, that it is, it, it's all about capitalism. So an industry perhaps was earning super, more, super normal profits at some stage in the past, and therefore uh, it, those, those margins will come down. Mm. Um, that's just the way I look at it. And ultimately, that's a good thing for end investors. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, you, you know, you're a major backer of uh, Fundsmith Equity, which is, of course, run by uh, Terry Smith. And... Um, you know, they've resisted cutting, largely resisted cutting an annual management fees, even as it's become a £27 billion fund or, or something like that. <laughs> well, what do you think 40, about that? Are you, are you surprised firm, by that? Or? No, I'm not surprised because um, mm. the, 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 the other side to this, um, you will remember that Edward Bonham Carter mm. uh, is a colleague and was my boss for a, a long time. Mm -hmm. He, tongue-in-cheek, used to suggest that rather than having a, a graded fee um, going down as your assets rose, um, the graded fee should be going up because it was more difficult to run larger sums of money. I see. And, and it, so most of the questions we get asked about Fundsmith are, you know, isn't it far too big and now, mm. and, and now it couldn't, you can't possibly manage it. So if I was Terry, I would say, well, yeah, that's absolutely right. But, um, but of course, it's, more, it's a more difficult thing to do. So why should I be cutting your fees? Um, I mean, you know, you, it's sophistry in some ways. Mm. But... Um, no, I mean, if you read Fundology, which I'm sure you did, rather than just propping up a, the, the leg of a wonky table, which I always thought was really what it was <laughs> destined for, with a, with a good cartoon on the front cover, mind you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I said that I thought that good investors uh, could and did command a premium. Mm. Um, and I would say the same for Terry. Yeah. Um, but that premium probably will come down. Okay. And, um, well, I suppose staying, staying on, uh, staying on Fundsmith, you know, Terry Smith's performance in, in the last year, you know, we don't want to be too short term, but in the last year, it hasn't been quite as sparkling, but the long term record still remains very strong. And as you've said, it, it's, it's a massive fund. Um, clearly, they're not going to be leveraging a small cap premium or anything like that. Do you, do you think he's still on, on top of his game? Yeah, I do, actually. I, mm -hmm. I think, I think Terry, I mean, whether I know Terry better than he knows me, I don't know. Uh -huh. um, but my my observation on Terry Smith is that he's a very, very competitive individual. Mm. He 
absolutely concentrates on the job in hand. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, know, I mean, if you know, if you look at the performance, if you take it from before the uh, coronavirus thing kicked off at the beginning of last year, and look through the dip and back back again, uh, I think you'll find he's ahead of the world index. Yes. Um, if you took it from after um, the coronavirus dip, you would find not. But then that's sort of not surprising because, um, you know, you've had some things, you know, fell 90%. So they're going to go up a lot and he wasn't holding any of that. Yes. Um, so I know I think he's he stayed true to his his um, last, if you like. Mm. Um, and I, I don't have a problem with the fact that it's it's he's running 40 billion. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm not saying this, this at all uh, uh, applies to Terry Smith, but um, a, a question many people face is how long to stick with a, a fund manager or, or even a whole whole sector of the, the market when it's been underperforming? How, how do you think about that question? Well, I, I think all these things you have to take each case on its merits mm. um, and things move slowly, but they sometimes they move inexorably. If, if you've got a fund manager, who thinks they're doing things in a certain way and you believe that actually they've moved mm. to doing things in a different way. Well, um, and that presumably is having an effect on their performance. That would be a very good indication of why you should be um, thinking about moving on. Yeah. Um, but markets change as well. So, I mean, right now, you know, the American market is arguably the most expensive it's ever been. Mm. Um, and some of the, 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 the other markets in the world are not quite as cheap as they've ever been, but they're certainly a, a great deal cheaper. Yeah. But um, if you look at what you've had to do to generate performance over the last five years, actually, if you haven't been in America, you've probably got sacked by now. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, 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 judgment is what you require. Mm. And, and, and there just aren't hard and fast rules. Mm. As you were, as you were speaking about um, what a fund manager might think they're doing versus what you actually perceive they're doing, I couldn't help but thinking of Neil Woodford. You, you were quite a big uh, investor, quite a big mm. backer of Neil mm. Woodford mm. Uh, and the Woodford Equity Income Fund. I think. Yeah. Um, what you know? Can you talk a bit? When did you first sort of realise things were going wrong? Well, I mean, Neil Woodford's a, a fascinating case because we mm. held his fund, uh, the Investigate Fund, from nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Um, all the way through to when, and, and in big size, you know, mm. we had north of 20% exposure to him um, and we made a great deal of money out of his Invesco Perpetual Funds. And then when he started up the new, the new shop, mm. it, um, it, it seemed a very sensible thing to do to switch um, most of the money. Mm. Um, and I think we switched 680 million pounds from, from memory or thereabouts, which then grew to about a billion. Um, and I've looked back at my notes and, you know, thought long and hard about what we did because we always knew he, he'd always in his, his Invesco times had some unquoted half a dozen thereabouts. And when he started um, his own fund, um, again, it was about half a dozen. But looking back at my notes, perhaps we weren't listening carefully enough to what he was telling us. Right. Because, because by the time um, we finished exiting, he'd got about 45, I think it was about 45 unquoted. And perhaps we just didn't read the signals clearly enough. So, I mean, I could say he changed what he did, but actually I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that, that, that 
that wasn't always the plan. Yeah. And we just didn't spot it, um, which is our fault. As it happens, we made, you know, we made just under 20% on our holdings by the time we got out. So we must be one of the few peoples that are, you know, hugely grateful, well, hugely grateful to his, um, you know, final version as opposed to just the earlier versions. Yeah. Um, no, well, it's, um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, what <clears throat> do you think? I mean, clearly there has been some long term impact on the on the fund management industry. And, you know, there's this renewed focus on on liquidity in, in open-ended funds. Um, but I mean, do, do you think there's kind of last, lasting damage to the industry from such a big names collapse or? People have awfully short memories, <laughs> I, 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 really. I mean, yes. I, 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 the answer is no, I don't think so at all. Right. Um, you know, Hargreaves Lansdowne, you know, they, you could have said, well, they, they had a problem because they've got quite a lot of it. Yes. It doesn't seem to have affected them particularly bad. And if you go, go back even over, over my sort of investing career, mm. you know, Morgan Grenfell European Growth, have you ever heard of that one? I don't recall that one. No, no, well, what happened there? Okay, well, that, that, that had a bit of a problem with something called British Biotechnology. Right. Uh, effectively, um, Morgan Grenfell, who had just been taken over by Deutsche Bank, mm. had to um, recompense all their investors because the fund pretty much went to zero. Um, because the, the the individual running it was so keen on British biotechnology, he created a whole load of shell companies, which um, were Luxembourg-based, I think, mostly, possibly in the in the Caribbean as well, um, which all bought British biotech. So instead of having you know the maximum ten percent exposure to one company, I think there was forty or fifty percent exposure. Right, sounds quite terrifying. Yeah, nineteen ninety-four. I see. People do have short memories. Correct. Now, um, coming back to this point about picking the the right fund managers for the right conditions, um, I suppose, you know, the, the natural question is, what kind of fund managers should we be looking for today? Today? Well, of course, it depends what you expect the conditions to be. Mm. Um, because it's not necessarily about what the conditions are right now. Mm. It's what you expect the conditions to be in the next one year, three years, five years, yeah. whatever your time period is. Um I mean, the things we can see around us are the fact that we're all using more kit technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, hastened perhaps by the, um, the coronavirus uh, um, pandemic, but it's, you know, everybody, you know, as you came into this room, there was I reading an email. I mean, yes. Appalling behavior. I apologize for it. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, we, we all do it. Mm. And so there are things like that that uh, you, as an investor, you need to make money out of. Mm. Lots of people are making money out of that sort of thing. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, you look at the UK market and you think, well, gosh, we've had um, the Brexit referendum. We then had Brexit. Um, we've got um, COVID, etc. And the UK market's now only 4% of the world index, whereas certainly when I started, it was over, I think it was 10 or 12%. So um, arguably, um, the UK stock market is seriously undervalued yeah um so so if, if you're thinking about that you need a value uk fund mm. if you're thinking about what i said earlier you need technology and then of course perhaps you have to say to yourself well actually i'm not really quite sure so you need a bit of each yeah so okay well on, on that point i think looking at the fact sheet for the uh the merlin merlin growth fund um so you've actually got more than 25 percent of the portfolio in uk equities so little uh, so so little. Um, so I suppose that means you think it's not just undervalued, but very undervalued. There's still a kind of screaming opportunity in the UK. Well, I mean, again, this almost sounds like a history lesson, but mm. uh, 
But back in the 1990s, that portfolio would have had 65% in UK equities. Right. So when I say so little, it's slightly tongue-in-cheek. But, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, we got below 20% um, mm. in the run-up to the vaccine um, announcement mm-hmm. uh, a year ago. Um, and at that point, we probably added around about 50% exposure, mm. I from whatever it was, 18 or thereabouts, up to about 30 or thereabouts. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have moved it about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's... The thing is, we are a small island off the coast of Europe. We have some huge advantages in terms of connectivity, uh, both east and west. We've got seriously good universities. We've mm-hmm. got a lot of IP potential. Um, but there are bits of sand in the in the, in the well-oiled machine. Mm. Um, and... If you look at our stock market compared to, say, the U.S., the percentage of technology is is very, very small. And so, you know, there are some good things and there are some not so good things. um, And you have to weigh it up. Yeah. Um, And so do you, you know, when you say that back in the, I think the 90s, you said you used to have 60 percent in in UK equities. Uh, You know, I, I think you're. The, the phenomenon of a uh, home bias is well known. And that's something that has been unwinding for UK investors, as in UK investors have been tending to invest more in, in global stocks or global mm. funds in recent years. Do you think there's still a case for, for home bias? I think you've got to think quite carefully about currency. Mm. Currency is the, the one area where I've seen people trip up in really you know, major proportions particularly as a UK investor, over the years, it's been the right thing to do to buy overseas holdings because generally speaking, they're priced in dollars or euros. And over the years, sterling has gently depreciated. And so as an investor, you've done well just just by that. Yeah. Fixed interest investors, bizarrely, I think it's bizarre, <laughs> um, have, certainly in the funds world, have to hedge all their overseas exposure back into sterling. Yeah. Um, and so... I, I don't think they, they, they do so well by that. Mm. Um, but home bias, remember the pension funds. So mm. Gordon Brown, um, again back in the 90s, changed the, the taxation rules for pension funds, um, reducing the attractiveness of dividends to them. And then, um, then changed the rules about um, how much fixed interest a fund needed to have to be solvent. Um, and so there's been a constant unwinding of UK equity positions from the pension fund industry, which I think has been overlooked. Right. Um, and they've uh, been forced to buy bonds broadly. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and mostly it's been coming out of UK equities because that's where most pension funds had their, 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 their money. Yeah. So, so I think I, you would have thought it had done most of its unwinding by now. So mm. and the, the UK market really is quite cheap. Okay. In, in, interesting. It, I, the next question I wanted to ask is, it, it looks like quite a, quite a difficult time to be a fixed time, fixed income investor. Uh, I, I would say with interest rates set to rise, we, we don't know if the new Omicron variant will, will have an effect on that or not. How, 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 do, you, how do you navigate that environment? Well, I, I think I must um, put my heart on my sleeve. I, I believe in equities. I don't, yeah. I don't really believe in fixed interest. Mm. That. Part of the reason for that is growing up in the 1970s when inflation really was quite a problem. Mm. You know, inflation of over 20% a year 
um, suddenly, you know, your your wage packet is diminishing in purchasing power pretty quickly. Um, and if you owned equities, that sort of kept up, um, obviously with much, much bigger volatility, particularly 1974, I think, when the all share fell 80%, 80%. Um, but fixed interest investors just got taken out and shot, really, because right. the, their purchasing power just, you know, just um, was destroyed. So I'm not a great believer in fixed interest. Mm. I buy it because I have to, or I say I, we the team, um, have to in in the funds that are required to to, to own fixed interest. Yeah. But in a rising rate environment, um, with inflation, you know, inflation around. Um, yeah, I mean, if you can hang on to your money in fixed interests, I think you're probably doing well. Okay, people do do well to heed the lessons of the 1970s there. Well, but the trouble is, I mean, the, the flip side of that is everybody is moulded by how they were brought up. Mm. So if you if you invested on the basis of the 1970s for the last 20 years, you got it wrong completely um, because we just had a declining inflation up until about a year ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think Roman emperors had somebody tapping their shoulders saying, Sire, you're only human. <laughs> An investor needs to constantly revisit their own um, prejudices mm. um, because every day is a new day. You didn't have to have the portfolio you started with yesterday. Um, and, yeah, I know you've, you've, I mean, I never stopped learning. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you've just got to keep, keep learning. Yeah. One... Um it's it, 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 it's funny, you know. What what one thing that has uh, there's been growing discussion in kind of uh, asset allocation circles, we might say about Bitcoin. Uh, perhaps bre Brexit used to be the dreaded B word, and now 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 maybe it's Bitcoin. Uh, depending yeah. depending on your view, uh, you know. Do do you think there's any case for for people investing in, in Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin? You know, yeah. speculating. Um, on it? Perhaps I've been wrong, but I, I'm I'm pretty cynical about it. Mm. Um, we do own some gold in the portfolios, which we varied over the time. Um, we use it a, 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 as an insurance policy. Yeah. And people say that Bitcoin is the new gold, mm. um, and it's based on the same premise that this supply of gold is limited and the supply of Bitcoin is limited. I can't recall how many um, coins there are out there now, but there are I think it's well over a thousand and Bitcoin itself has had a few forks uh, over the time. So I'm not utterly convinced that the supply of all these things is totally limited. I sort of feel it's more speculation. Yeah. Um, and I feel it's related to the um, amount of money being printed by central banks generally, okay. which is creating pretty unusual monetary conditions, but conditions that are... Uh, enabling um, speculations to, to go well. Yeah. Um, so I'm cynical on, on Bitcoin. <laughs> so you, you, but, you, but you, you won't be rushing to invest in it soon? No, but I have to say, I mean, Pete Laurie, who I mentioned earlier, mm. who um, was an original member of the team, um, he would be on the other side of the fence. Really? Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he reckons he's, he's, he's looked into it pretty deeply. Mm. He reckons there's 15% that you sort of can't know, but the 85% that you could know if you bothered to do the work, which he has, um, he's happy with. Yeah. So, you know, that, I mean, you know, it's who has a monopoly on wisdom. <laughs> okay. And uh, another hot trend I, I wanted to ask about is thematic investing. Uh, you know, there's been an explosion of interest in areas like clean energy, which uh, 
you know, should have many years of structural growth ahead of them. Well, you know, what, what do you make about that thematic approach? Uh, and the, the, there isn't, the, there's nothing wrong with thematic mm. investing at all. And um, I think you noted that we, we, we own something called Blue Box yes. Technology, which um, we can come back to if you like. Mm -hmm. um, so over the years, I've owned financials funds, technology funds, uh, natural resources funds. Um, so thematic investing ha definitely has its place. Um, I'm always a little bit concerned about when areas are very hot mm. because um, hot areas tend to um, attract not all the right people. Um, undoubtedly, there's going to be a huge amount of investment uh, in infrastructure and some of it is going to be directed investment. You know, I, th I think governments will be trying to persuade investors with tax breaks and, mm. and, and that sort of thing to invest in areas. Um, sometimes when investment is sort of encouraged, it isn't, doesn't necessarily always turn out to be financially good for the investor. Right. It, it might be good for creating whatever the infrastructure uh, you want is, but it doesn't always work out. I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but the Channel Tunnel, mm. um, you might be aware that this, this was originally um, financed by a private consortium uh, and there were shareholders um, and as an individual shareholder I think over a certain limit you got a lifetime's free travel on on the tunnel right um, but unfortunately of course the original investors got taken out mm. um, because it it, um, it, it, it did it fall into liquidation I mean it, certainly the original investors lost all their money yeah um, we've got a jolly nice tunnel which does a whole heap of things which we wouldn't be able to do if, if we didn't have it. Mm. But those in original investors um, just have sore heads. Okay. <laughs> but where the hot ticket? Yeah, let's, let, you mentioned the Blue Box Global Technology mm. Fund. Let, let, let's, let's talk about that a bit. I mean, you know, how do you go about selecting a technology fund okay. first? Well, um, it, it's, it, it is definitely an area that you want to keep your feet on the ground. Mm. Um, what we've got here is a guy called William DeGale who used to uh, run technology money for BlackRock. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he'll mind me saying if I, I say that he wears a pair of braces. He, For Americans, they're called suspenders, but in this country, we will call them braces. Um, Which conjures a slightly old school image. <laughs> indeed. Um, he's an accountant by training. Mm. And if you met him, I, I don't think you'd mind me saying that he's not a technology nerd. Mm. What he wants to do is buy companies that are making genuine profits um, and therefore have have longevity. He's not trying to buy the next blue sky thing, you know. So he'll miss out on currently something like Cloudflare, which is going gangbusters in share price terms. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 it's something where you've got your feet on the ground. You've got known financial metrics that you can compare things to. Mm. Um, so, you know, something like Microsoft, which is, I think, the biggest holding currently, um, would be a classic example. But he's, I say hugely, over. he's got a lot of semiconductor um, manufacturers because there is a shortage. Mm. Um, and that shortage, he thinks, is going to uh, last for, for quite a while. Um, and so what we liked about it was the fact that it was keeping its feet on the ground. It was a small fund. So... Um, we like buying small funds. Um, we think there are more opportunities to, um, to, to, be, to, to be got from that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, if, if you want to 
to buy a technology fund. And obviously, you know, my compliance person would say that I am not recommending this yeah. for, 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 for private investors. Buy a Merlin fund instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you have to make up your own mind. And, and I've met a lot of technology investors over the years. Mm. And, and we like William. Okay, interesting. Let, let's discuss the uh, performance of the Merlin range a bit. Um, you know, you say you're, you're really a believer in equities. Um, most of the funds have beaten uh, the performance of their, their multi-asset sector peers in recent years. Um, but the funds that, that do invest most heavily in equities, I think that's the, the growth and worldwide portfolios, ha have struggled to keep up with, with the average global fund. Are you, have you been disappointed by that? Well, the disappointing one uh, in in relative terms is is worldwide because yeah. cause that should have kept up with a, with a, with a global fund. Mm. Um, no, I'm not disappointed with growth at all. Actually, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm actually really rather chipper about it. <laughs> <laughs> it um, the, but I think I, mean, I think you can put it all put it back down to one word, and that is America. Right. Because as we discussed earlier, um, the staggering outperformance of the American stock market over the last five years, for instance, or longer certainly. Um, I mean, it has to be seen to be believed. And so mm. if what you're trying to do is um, run a diversified portfolio um, and you've got your global fund, which would have had to have had probably 70 or 80 percent in America, that arguably might not be what you should be doing. Perhaps perhaps arguably you should be doing that. I don't mm. know. Um, but as soon as you had any Far East uh, or um, UK, uh, slightly to a lesser extent, Europe. Yeah. Um, you you reduce the, port, the, the 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 outcome. Um, so now I mean I mean I'm actually pretty chipper about all our performance. But again, the, you know the compliance people say I'm not, I'm not allowed to advertise things. Yeah. So, um, but but no, the one disappointment in relative terms is worldwide. Despite the fact it actually is the best performing fund that we've got. Yes. <laughs> so what I mean, how, how do you think about that that kind of America question? Now, because uh, as, as you say, America, you know, the American stock market has, has kept going up and up. And part of that is uh, multiple expansion. But part of it is also some, some fantastic performance of, of mm. the biggest companies yeah. like Microsoft. Yeah. How yeah. are you thinking about you know, America at the moment? Well, I think you have to get your head around the fact that you've got a backdrop of QE and, mm. and very, very low interest rates coupled with huge companies that we almost have to use as individuals or company or you know corporations on a daily basis so your apple phone or your uh, google search or youtube or um, yeah. excel or word or whatever it is so i think you have to get your head around that the fact that these are seriously profitable companies that you probably have to pay up to own um nothing goes on forever so yeah. things will change i don't know what those changes will be but at the moment um i'm 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 okay with it but i'm i am aware that as you said multiple expansion has definitely been been out there um and continues to be out there mm. if you look at the american stock markets um the, the the earnings where those the earnings increase growth has come over the last five or ten years 90% has come from the technology sector. Right. Um, so I think you sort of almost have to divide those two things and, 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 and in your own head, uh, make an allowance for that. Okay. Um, last question from me, if that's all right, John. I was slightly rude asking this, and we did reference it slightly before we started. But um, 
you know, you, you met, we mentioned you've been, at, you've been at Jupiter, you've enjoyed your, your 20th anniversary at Jupiter this year. And I, I think you actually had a, a short career doing something else before for fund management. Do you, do you have any plans to, uh, you know, step back in terms of your day-to-day -day duties at all, or are you still kind well, of all uh, guns uh, blazing? Jeremy, as, as I said uh, before, we, when we were chatting earlier, <laughs> uh, if I was asking you the question, you would have said, uh, Gary Potter's just retired, Bamos Ham is just That's retired. That's right. You, you grew up with them, and um, why are you still here? <laughs> um, well, I'm 59. Nobody goes on forever. I've mm -hmm. got no plans to uh, retire at the moment. Um, I love what I do. Mm. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John. I think that's, uh, that's an excellent note to end on. So thank, thanks very much for coming in today, and it was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you. And last thing to say is uh, thank you to everyone at home for, for listening to the podcast, and please look out for more Funds Fanatic Show podcasts soon.